Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Are you, you, you really doing okay this Memorial Weekend? Because you're kind of subdued a little bit. You're doing all right? Good. I'm glad. That's good. Turn with me in your Bibles. If you have a copy of the Bible with you, turn to James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in James chapter 4. And for the past several weeks, we've been in a series called Every Step Forward. We've been taking kind of a step-by-step or a verse-by-verse look at the book of James. We've learned some incredible, incredible things. I appreciate what Pastor Chris has done. We've taught, we, he's taught us some great things out of the book of James, some incredible principles that will help us take whatever our next step forward is. And so I have several questions for you today and then just some, some observations. One of the things I just want to ask you is, what is your next step forward? Every step forward comes with challenges and, and joys and victories, but what is, your, what is your next step forward on every step forward? I'm, I'm sure you've got something in mind. And then as you think about that, what is your next step forward? Maybe it's a business step Maybe it's a relationship step or a school step. Some of you just graduated from high school or, or college and now we're in the summer. It's Memorial Weekend and maybe the next step for you is a hamburger. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where there, there's always another step to be taken. And I know that when we think about our next steps or our every step forward, I know that there are these moments, no matter what the step is, when we're just faced with some obstacles, some obstacles that just get in the way of every step forward. And today we're going to talk about three of those obstacles. We're going to actually we'll talk about two of them today and the third one we'll talk about next week. Actually next week I hope you'll bring someone with you next week. If you've ever been someone to ask the question, "Hey, I'd love to know what the will of God is for my life. What is the will of God for me?" Or if you know someone who's ever asked that question, next week would be a great time to come because from Scripture, we're going to see how we learn or how we discover or how we walk in the will of God. So that's, that's one of those obstacles to every step forward is we don't really know what it is that God intends from us or what He wants from us. And so we're going to discover next week about how to learn what His will is. But there's two that we're going to talk about today that are obstacles to every step forward. So before we talk about those, let's look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, stand with me in honor of reading the God uh, in the reading of God's word. And as you stand and as we look at James chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 13. And I, and I just want to assure you that with every step forward, there are always obstacles. But, but I can tell you that if, if we can capture the essence of this passage of Scripture today, if we can figure out these principles and put into practice the things that we see in this, the obstacles that we face to every step forward will seem much smaller. As a matter of fact, they may seem so small that they just go away. But the secret is found here in Scripture and, and ordering and, and, and measuring our lives by this rather than by something else. So let's just take a look at what God's Word says in James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Great job. Thanks so much. If you're a guest with us or if you're watching online, that's something that we say after we read Scripture together. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We do that to just honor the fact that this is the word of God and, and we want to live by it. I want to point something out to you in this passage in James chapter 4, verse 13. Look at it with me real quick. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. 
You see, when we look at this passage, the very first thing we see is that people have plans. You and I, we have plans. All of us have plans. Those plans become our steps forward. And we see right here, clearly spelled out, that even back then, they had plans that they were trying to, they were trying to work out a way to do the same thing that we do, to make profit, to have a profitable life. Well, let me just be really clear. There's nothing wrong with profit. There's nothing wrong with trying to have a profitable life or trying to make a living or trying to earn an income or trying to do really well. There's nothing really wrong with that. What that word profit there is really all about is actually two little letters. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we should go to such and such a city, buy and sell and trade, trade and make a profit. We're reminded in the next few verses, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our life is very short. And so there's something that can be pursued beyond profit. And that word profit reminds me of two little letters that I think are very important letters that influence our lives in really significant ways. And it's the letters E-R. It's the word, or it's not really a word. It's just you add it to the end of words. It's er. Say that word with me. Yeah, it sounds like you're growling at me now. I'm sorry. I'll be as fast as I can. Say it with me. Er. Yeah, see the word profit there is an indication that, and and this is something that we all want. And just to be honest, we all want this. I want my life to be better, right? I want it to be better. I'd like to live in a way that makes me healthier or stronger. Or maybe I could run faster. Or maybe in my career I can take a step forward that moves me so that I'm a little bit richer. Some of us want to be a little more famous, or not really a word, but you know, the English language, it's growing and evolving, so maybe we can be famous, or um, profit is not really the problem, but here's what is the, the better is the problem. The better is the problem, and here's why because sometimes better just gets in the way of best. Sometimes better just gets in the way of best. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to see three obstacles not to better. We're going to see three obstacles to best. And I've already told you that next week we're talking about the will of God. This week we're talking about two other obstacles that get in the way of best. And the reason they get in the way of best is because they, they cause us to focus on just being better, for settling for something that's just better. And let me see if I can illustrate what I mean when I say better is not always what's best. How many dads of daughters do we have in the, in the audience today? How many of you, just raise your hand, just confess right now, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I'm a father of a daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just imagine this scene with me. Imagine that your daughter's now dating and, and she's a teenager and, and he comes to your house and he sits down in your living room and she's not quite ready for the date yet. And so she's still getting ready and you guys are just having a conversation, kind of getting to know each other. You don't know him really well. And you just look at him and you decide, okay, I'm just going to ask some questions. And so I'm going to ask a simple question. Hey, what are your goals? What are some goals that you have? That's a good every step forward kind of question. What are your next steps? What are are your goals, son? You got to add the word son to make it intimidating, right? So you ask the boy, "What, what are your goals? And maybe his answer sounds something like, well, I hope that I can keep my current job and not lose it. Good goal. I hope I don't get any more DUIs. (laughs) I hope I do better at that. I hope I do better at my job. I hope I do better with my drive. I hope I don't get any more DUIs. And I hope I don't get any more people. I hope I don't get any more DUIs. (laughs) See, sometimes better, because all those things are good. You know, if that's your goal, great, get better. That's good. But sometimes better gets in the way of best. Or maybe... 
maybe you're a single woman. Maybe you're a single woman and you're sitting down across from a date and, and you're thinking, hey, it's going forward, it's going good. I don't really know this guy that well. You were set up by someone. And you start asking those same questions. Hey, what are your goals? And, and he says those similar answers. Well, I hope I get to keep my current job. I just hope I do a little bit better than I did last time. I hope I don't have a DUI. I hope I, or another DUI. I hope I don't get a girl, another girl pregnant. See, sometimes better, sometimes better gets in the way of best. And, and I've got to tell you that we're, we're awfully tempted to make best about our behavior. We're awfully tempted to make best about our behavior. And I'll tell you that it is, to some degree, wrapped up in our behavior. But it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city, buy and sell and make a profit. It's not wrong to make a profit. It's not wrong to try to be better. But there can be so much more. So here are the two obstacles that we're going to talk about today. There are two obstacles for every step forward. And it's going to sound very churchy when I say it. But the two obstacles are this. They're sin and temptation. These are the two obstacles we're going to talk about today. Sin and temptation. Now watch this. Sin is sinful. Man, that's deep, isn't it? You're glad you came. You didn't have to pay for that. It's sin is sinful. Temptation is not. Sin is sinful. Temptation is not. I think it's important for us to remember that as we think about these obstacles to every step forward. That sin is sinful. Temptation is not. I know with my own kids, sometimes I get nervous when I see them tempted by certain things. And sometimes I've been tempted myself as a parent to punish them, not because they did something wrong, but because they were thinking about doing something wrong. Have you ever been their parents? You're not really punishing them because they did something wrong, but they're just about to, and so I'm going to punish them before it happens. Sin is sinful. Temptation is not, but it develops a pattern for us. Here's how we fix that. Sin we confess. Temptation we overcome. Sin is sinful, temptation is not. Sin we confess, temptation we overcome. Now I'm going to start with, sin, with temptation because on the quest to get better, on the quest to be, to be more like we're supposed to be or to be profitable, we often think that my behavior just needs to be better and we think about temptation. If I could just overcome temptation, my life would be better. So I'm going to give you some steps that will help you overcome temptation, but I'm going to tell you that this is only the start of that process. Uh, and so here's, here's some of those steps. If you want to overcome t- temptation, there's some things that you can do to overcome temptation. First, you can recognize the trigger in your life. You can recognize those things that trigger sinful activities or sinful thoughts or sinful desires. You can recognize those temptations that trip you up. Recognize the trigger that causes that to happen. For me, I, uh, I know that everyone's tempted by something different and, and, and everybody kind of faces their own struggles and their own challenges, I can tell you, and I've, I think I've said this before, that there's never really ever been anything attractive to me about alcohol. I'm just not, a, I'm not it's not something that tempts me. Oreos, on the other hand, are a totally different story. Oreos are highly attractive to me. Someone in the first service shouted, ice cream, it's ice cream for you. <laughs> and, and I said, that's not really a temptation because it's one of the four food groups. And so it doesn't count. That's, that's, it's, kind of, it's made out of milk and dairy. It's kind of a vegetable to me. So, so that doesn't really count. Stop meddling. Okay, that's my sin. Don't mess with it. Okay. Um, so we all face our own temptations. And as we face our temptations, one of the things we've got to figure out is we've got to figure out those triggers, those moments that this is that moment when I'm being tempted. And, and if I'm not careful, I'm playing with fire. I could step into sin. You recognize the trigger. Now there's a verse in Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. They say, see then that you walk circumspectly, 
not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think it's interesting that that verse references time because in James chapter 4 in this passage, it says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We can invest an awful lot of time and energy in trying to recognize these triggers or figuring out how to overcome temptation. It's time well spent, but there's also a better way, and we'll talk about that better way in just a second. But as we recognize the trigger, that verse... See then that you walk circumspectly, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's Ephesians um, 5, verses 15 and 16. That word circumspect is very specific. It means to walk around like an explorer who circumnavigates the earth or like the circle. You find the circumference of the earth if you... Um, if you walk circumspectly, you're walking around, but there's two different ways to walk around. You can walk around as a wise person or as an unwise person. See, an unwise person sees the trigger. This is the thing that I know tempts me. This is the sin that I know that I could step in. And an unwise person just goes, I'm going to be better this time. I'm just going to run right into it. They run right into it. I'm just going to do better this time. I'm just going to be stronger this time. I'm going to be better. And they, they step right into the same temptation and As an unwise person, they step right into the same sin. And circumspectly, they walk around. They get stuck in that sin. And they just walk around in it. And they just repeat the same problems and the same struggles and the same. They just give into it over and over and over again because they're walking circumspectly as an unwise person. But the verse says, See then that you walk circumspectly not as unwise, but as wise people. What does a wise person do? A wise person sees the temptation. And they also walk circumspectly, but they don't walk right into it. They think, this time I'm not going to do better. This time I'm just not going to go there in the first place. And they walk around the temptation. They avoid it altogether. How do they do that? Well, that's the second way you overcome temptation. First, you recognize the trigger. And then second, you reorder your environment. You reorder your environment. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and you're going to see if you're going to overcome temptation, this obstacle to every step forward, if you're going to overcome temptation, just like Ephesians says, you've got to learn to walk circumspectly, recognize the temptation, and don't walk into it, walk around it, avoid it. You're going to see that in Proverbs chapter 4 as you reorder your environment. Proverbs chapter 4, verses... um, Let's see, 14 and 15. Just take a look at this because you see it. It's, cl- it's clearly spelled out here. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. And here's the way you reorder your environment when it comes to temptation. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. That's pretty simple, pretty clear. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. And pass on. So when I'm faced with temptation, when I know that there's something there that I know that I want, I know that I'd really love to have it, but I know it's absolutely the wrong thing to do, what should I do with my life? I should avoid it. I should not travel on it. I should turn away from it and pass on. In other words, there's an easier way to say that. The first is, if you know it's something that tempts you, if you know you're going to be in an environment that tempts you, well, don't go there. Just don't go there. For me, going to a bar is not a big deal, but I have friends who are addicts, and going to a bar for them is a big deal. Don't go there. For some of you, you're in the kind of career where you don't always have a lot of control over your environment. You have to go to where that person is that you're attracted to, or you have to go to that place where they're doing the things that contribute to you. You have to go there. So don't go there. That's the second thing. Avoid it. Yet don't stay there. If you find yourself there, don't don't go there. Don't, Don't stay there. And if you find yourself that you're there, well, turn away from there and then get out of there. 
Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. How do you reorder your environment? Recognize what the temptation in your life is. What is it that trips you up that's different from what trips me up, that's different from what trips your spouse up or your kids up or your friends or your boss? There's something different that trips you up specifically. You can recognize the trigger and then you can reorder your environment. Don't go there. Don't stay there. Turn away from there and get out of there. There's a story about Joseph in the, in the, in the book of Genesis. Genesis, uh, Joseph has this dream and it's this promise that God made to Joseph that he would make a great nation out of him. Same promise he made to Abraham and that people would bow down to him. And ultimately his brothers thought that was a really selfish, really crazy dream. And they sold Joseph into slavery. And then Joseph gets sold to Potiphar, who is an Egyptian ruler. And in, and in, in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife keeps coming on to Joseph over and over and over again. Well, the nature of his job didn't allow him to, to avoid it. To not go there. He was a slave. He didn't have a choice. To Don't go there. Don't stay there. He couldn't leave. He was a slave. Uh, turn away from there. Well, he turned away from her many times. He turned her down. He turned her down. And then eventually her advances became so forward that his only choice was to get out of there, was to run, was to flee. And that's exactly what he did. When it comes to obstacles to your every step forward, temptation is one of the largest obstacles you face. And there's some things you can do to recognize the trigger and reorder your environment to, to not just do better, but to follow what God's best for your life is. There's one other thing inside of avo avoiding temptation that you can do that's significant, and that's you can pray. You can pray for a change of appetite. And this is leading us to what the real problem is. You can pray for a change of appetite. Because let's just be honest. The reason why I give in to temptation is because I just, I'm attracted to the thing that tempts me. I don't just sin because I'm bad. I sin because I like it. Isn't that true for you? You don't give in to that thing that, that trips you up because it, you know it's going to hurt you or your family or your job. You don't give in to it because you know it's going to be the thing that crushes your life or hurts your spirit or, or causes you to be depressed or upset or angry or someone to be depressed, upset, or angry with. You don't give it to it for those reasons. You give in to it because you're attracted to it and you think this is, this is going to make me feel good or this is going to solve my problem. We have an appetite for sin. There's only one person who can change those appetites, and it's our Heavenly Father. So I can pray, Father, change my appetites. Change my appetites. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Doesn't that just seem to be the problem of this generation and really the generations that came before it? We're just always hungry for more. We're always hungry for bigger, faster, louder, higher. We're always hungry for more. And it's just like we're never, ever satisfied. But Matthew 5, 6 says you can be satisfied when your appetite's changed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So when you're trying to overcome temptation on this road to every step forward, you can recognize the triggers. You can reorder your environment. You can ask God to do what only God can do inside your life and change your appetite. For me, it would be like changing my appetite for Oreos into an appetite for vegetables. It would be that drastic. It would be massive. But for some of us, it would be so much bigger than that. God, make it so that that thing is not attractive to me anymore. And your righteousness is. You see, there's another er word that's out there that's a problem for us, and, and it's another temptation. It's especially a temptation for church people. If you come to church all the time, this is a temptation that maybe I just want to be holier. 
God, can you just make me holier? And you've heard that phrase, well, he's just holier than thou. You know, he's just being so holy. That's not a compliment when someone says that, is it? It's like they're stuck up, snot-nosed, and snobby, right? We're, we're just holier. Can I tell you, as a church person, if you've been sitting in church all your life, holier isn't even a possibility because holy is binary. It's on or off. Either you are holy or you're not. Or you're not. Now, you can grow into a, a, a tighter relationship with God. You can be more intimately acquainted with him today than you were yesterday. But that's not about whether or not you're more or less holy today than you were the day before. And here's our problem. It's the behavior problem. And Christians struggle with this all the time. We think that the solution to our problem is by changing our behavior. If I can just act better, I'll be better. Now that makes total sense, doesn't it? If I can just act better, I'll be better. And that's the biggest problem with this obstacle of temptation because temptation, overcoming it, really is all about your behavior and your choices. But there's a problem in us that's deeper than our behavior because we will never consistently overcome temptation. We will never consistently overcome temptation until we first confess sin. You'll never do it. You'll never consistently overcome temptation until we confess that we're sinners. Now, I know that's a church word, and I know that's a church way to say it. It simply means there's this standard that we don't live up to. It simply means there's something broken inside of us. Here's something that's relevant to see inside this. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That makes the definition of sin pretty broad because the definition of sin then becomes not simply the absence of good, or excuse me, the presence of evil, it's the absence of good. So sin's not simply the presence of evil, it's also the absence of good. And I know a lot of good people who don't always do good things. It's almost like we're sinful from the inside out. And isn't that exactly what Scripture tells us? That I don't do, I, I'm not a sinner because I do sinful things. I do sinful things because I'm a sinner. Because that's what's in my heart. Because that's the appetite that I have. So before my behavior can change, before I can overcome temptation, before I can recognize the trigger and overcome or reorder the environment, before any of that can happen, there has to be something inside me that changes. Because I'm not a sinner because I do sinful things. I do sinful things because something inside me is broken. And I know there are people out there who say, well, no, 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 man is naturally good. If it weren't for these rules of society and the, just the way people treat each other, man's just naturally good. And, and we would just naturally do the right thing. And I know I've heard people say that, and clearly they've never had a four-year-old kid <laughs> um, because I didn't have to teach my kids how to be selfish. And I didn't have to teach my kids how to lie. And I didn't have to teach my kids how to, you know, sneak stuff out of the cookie jar. Actually, I am that kind of dad. I did teach them how to sneak stuff out of the cookie jar because I want to be responsible for the corruption of my kids, right? And so I am that kind of dad. But, um, but I didn't have to teach them that. That was sort of, it's like that sin was just sort of built in. And some of you might have said, actually, every one of you at some point may have said, maybe as an excuse or maybe someone made this excuse to you, hey, nobody's perfect. Hey, nobody's perfect. But wait a second, I thought you just said man is inherently good. People are inherently good. Yeah, we are inherently good, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> you know what you've just revealed? 
saying that phrase, nobody's perfect, it reveals something to us. It, it reveals that there's a perfect out there that nobody is. You've just said that you know from the inside out people are broken. You've just said that you know from the inside out people are sinful. Nobody's perfect reveals that there really is a perfect out there that nobody is. It also reveals that there's a standard. There's a standard outside of me that I can never live up to. Nobody's perfect. You're right. There's a standard that's outside of me that I can't possibly live up to. Why is that? Well, because I'm sinful from the inside out. It's not the behavior that makes me sinful. It's the sin that dictates my behavior. There's a standard outside of me that I don't live up to. It also reveals something else. It reveals that there's a standard outside of me that I'm accountable to. And as church people, we may call that standard God and God's law. Maybe you're not a church person. Maybe, maybe you know that people are sinful or maybe you've experienced the fact that people do wrong things. You've been the person to say that nobody's perfect and you agree that nobody's perfect, but, but you're not terribly interested in God's law. You're interested in your own law or the law of society or which, whatever you consider moral law. Well, the very recognition of those things is a recognition of this idea that there's a standard outside of me. There's a standard outside of you that I'm accountable to. And I will never, ever be able to change my behavior until I confess my need for something in me to be transformed. Until I confess my need for something inside of me to be changed forever. You see, I was born in Oklahoma City, in the state of Oklahoma, in the nation of the United States. I was born as an American. And as a result of that birth, I've experienced all kinds of privileges, privileges that were guarded and protected by warriors and people who have given their lives for my freedom. I was, I, but, but I also, along with that culture, comes all of the negative things of our culture and all those things because I'm an American, because I was born an American. Well, guess what? Every one of us were born into the nation of sin. And what comes with it is all of the temptations and all of the problems and all of the challenges of being part of the nation of sin. It's like there's something in me that's broken that can't possibly be complete without something outside of me doing something. And as we say nobody's perfect, I know there's this moment when you do something wrong, when you finally give in to temptation, whether you're a church person or not, you feel this pressure. You feel this weight of, oh, it's, and you call it your conscience. Maybe that's what you call it, your conscience. And you feel that pressure and that weight of, oh, I know I did that wrong and I shouldn't have ought to done that. You're recognizing that there's a standard outside of you that you're accountable. You're, there's a standard outside of you that you don't live up to. And you know what that pressure is? Scripture reveals what that pressure is. That pressure is the subtle reminder from the Holy Spirit of God that he is with you, that he's for you, that he loves you, and that he's made a way out. Every time you feel that twinge in your conscience, it's not God pressing down on you, judging you. It's not society pressing in on you, reminding you how awful you are or how crazy you are or how stupid you are. That's not really what that is. That pressure you feel, every time you feel your conscience tweaked and you think to yourself, I shouldn't do that. Or maybe you think, I should do that and, and I'm not, so I'm just going to skip doing the right thing because I'd really rather do this other thing. Every time you feel that pressure today, this afternoon, when you go out to eat and you're tempted to say an unkind word or you're tempted to be selfish or you're tempted to lie or you're tempted to look at that thing on your phone or your computer, you're tempted to call that person, or you're tempted to, you, will you fill in the blank? You know what tempts you? Every time you feel that temptation and then immediately your conscience shouts at you, hey, don't go there, don't do that. 
Every time you feel that, you know what that feeling is? It's not the judgment of God. That feeling is the subtle reminder from God that he loves you, that he's with you, and he's given you a way out. We'll never overcome temptation until we first confess our sin. Two quick stories, and then we're done. When Londa and I were first married, we moved into a little 800-square-foot house. It was a great home. One of the things I loved about it is I'd never lived in a house with a pool before, and this little house had an above-ground pool in the backyard, which was really cool. For our first year of marriage, we had this cool above-ground pool in the backyard. It's a little bitty house, and, and so it was fun. We had a great summer. That was very cool. But our second year together, I worked at Falls Creek. We both worked at Falls Creek. I produced video uh, for, for Falls Creek. That's the camp that our students go to, and, and we lived at camp over the course of the summer really for about 12 weeks which was awesome. That was great too. But we get to the end of our 12 weeks and we come back to the house and we haven't been in the backyard. It's the end of summer. We haven't really even gotten our, we haven't even thought about our pool because it's been busy and been crazy. And so we're getting everything, you know, getting our laundry done, getting everything kind of back to normal. And we eat dinner and we're doing our dishes and I'm standing at the sink doing dishes and I can look out the window to see that pool. And I think to myself, well, that, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Um, that water's not blue anymore. And what is that floating in the water? That looks like a trash bag or something. It looks like a black trash bag. Hey, Londa, come look at this. Come look at the pool. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. We should probably fix that. And she says, yes, you, sh- you probably should. And so um, I go to the back door, and I open the back door to the house. And when I open the back door to the house, the smell just hits me. What is that? And I, I realize that I, as I get closer, that's, that's coming from the pool. <laughs> oh, that's gross. What is that thing floating in my pool? That's huge. That's not just a trash bag. That's a, oh, I think that used to be a squirrel. <laughs> and the pool water is not even close to blue. It's not even close to green. It is full on black. You, it's a little four foot pool. You can't see the bottom. You can't see the sides. And there is this, I don't know how long the squirrel had been there, y'all, because get your disgust meter ready because it was bloated and floating in the pool. Can you just say the word bloated with me? Yeah, what a fun word to say. It was just bloated. And the best part is when I, I got to clean that up and I, uh, I took the net and I got a trash bag and I, I fished that. It was about this big. I fished that. Now, I'm sure that it didn't start that way because it was a squirrel. It was about this big. And I fished it out with the net. This is my favorite part. Because I took that and I, I slid it out of the net and into the trash bag. And it made that sound when it hit the trash bag. But the best part of it was not the sound that it made. It was that the body of the squirrel went into the trash bag but the fur and the skin stayed in my net. <laughs> yeah, that was just, it was so disgusting. And you're welcome, it's lunchtime. Um, <laughs> it really was very disgusting. And you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't put enough chemicals in my pool <laughs> to fix it. Actually, I couldn't put enough chemicals in my pool that my wife would go, I'm not even going in the backyard, not till you get that thing fixed. I'm not going to do that. I couldn't put enough shock, enough chlorine, enough salt. I couldn't put enough baking soda. I couldn't put enough chemicals in the pool to fix it. You know what I had to do? I had to empty the pool. You know what I had to do? I had to empty the pool completely and fill it with fresh, clean 
water. The problem couldn't have possibly been fixed with me just adding a new behavior to my pool. You know what your greatest obstacle on every step forward is? Some of you have been believers all your life. You've, let me say it this way. Maybe believer is not the right word. You've been in church all your life, and you're still trying to behave your way out of sins that you need to confess. You're thinking, if I just try a little harder, if I could just read my Bible a little more, if I could just go a little deeper in another Bible study, you're trying to behave your way out of a sin that you absolutely need to just confess and let God do that work in you that only God can do. We, we say it all the time, that God wants to do something in you and through you that can't possibly be explained because of you. He wants to take the dark, ugly, bloated, dead water out of you and replace it with something that's clean and that's fresh. He wants to look inside you and say, well, that pressure that you feel every time your conscience bothers you, it's not God judging you, it's God subtly reminding you, I'm with you and I can fix that. I'm with you and I can fix that. This is the last story. My son Dawson, I'm going to get to tell you one more story in a minute about him when we baptize him. He's six now, but a year or so ago, a couple years ago, we went down to Texas. And we got to go to this carnival in Texas. And it was kind of a small town thing. They had taken what looked like five acres of corn and created a corn maze inside this corn. And the corn was, it was high and it was huge. And so we all run in as a family and there's some things that you can do inside that corn maze, kind of some problems you can solve, some riddles you can do, and kind of a quest that you go on. And they had built ladders so that you could get up high when you get in the middle of the maze. You could get up high and look and see all of the different ways in and out of the maze. And so we just had a great time playing inside that corn maze. And at the end of the day, being the good father I am, I led my, my family out of the corn maze. And we're laughing and talking and someone's going to get, you know, um, cotton candy and things like that. And then we realize, hey, where's Dawson? I thought you had him. Well, I thought you had him. Well, I don't know where he is. He was still in the maze. And he was lost. And he was alone because our whole family was still out here. You know what I did as a father? I ran into the maze, and I knew the maze. By that time, we'd been in it long enough. There was kind of a pattern to it, and I'd figured out kind of all the directions that you were supposed to go, and I, I could hear him crying. I could hear him hollering for us. And when I finally found him, he was alone, and he was crying, and he was scared, and he was sad. And then he saw his father, and he completely relaxed. And he ran to me, and he put his arms around my neck, and he hugged me real tight. And I said, don't worry, Dawson. I know the way out. And I picked him up and I carried him. Now, it was a big maze, so I carried him part of the way. And, and as we got closer, he started realizing that his brothers and his sister were out there and he didn't want to look like he was scared. He wanted to look like he was a big, brave man. And so let me down, Dad. I want to, I want to, I want to walk on my own. So I let him down so he could walk on his own. But you know what? He never got in front of me. He walked behind me the whole way. Why? Because he wanted to make certain he was following me out. And so I let him out of that maze. You know how I did that? I knew the way out. You know why he couldn't? Because he didn't. He followed me out of the maze. Some of you on your path to every step forward, some of you, the obstacles you face are temptations that you just keep tripping over, over and over and over again. But the reality is the reason you keep tripping is because you have yet to confess your need for God to do something in your heart. 
to transform what's dead in your life into something alive. Some of us are trying to behave our way out of a problem that you can only follow your way out of. You're trying to behave your way out of something that you can only follow your way out. And every time your conscience is twinged, every time you feel it, that subtle voice, that pressure that you feel, it's not judgment. It's compassion. It's not, it's not a hammer coming down to, to beat you. It's mercy coming down to lead you and to say to you, this problem you face, I can fix it. This way out, I know the way. Follow me. It's your heavenly Father. Hear his voice. Confess and follow him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. I'm going to pray, and at the end of the prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, maybe you're someone who needs to follow your way out. Maybe you're someone who needs to ask God to fix what's broken in you. It's simple to do that. You simply confess, Father, I need you. Forgive my sin. Come into my heart and save me forever. That feeling of guilt that you feel right now, well, that's not really necessarily guilt. That could be the subtle voice of God reminding you that he loves you and that he can do in you and through you what you can't ever do for yourself. He can forgive you. He can save you. He can fix you. He can show you the way out. So in this moment, you can give your life to him. Just confess, Father, I need you. Forgive me. When we say amen to the prayer, we'll all stand up. And if you need to know Jesus, if you need to place your faith in him, come forward and take the hand of one of these men and say, I just need Jesus. And they would be glad to talk to you more about what that means. You could do that right there in your seat. But if you want to know more about it and talk to someone, there are people right down front. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're grateful to you. And I just hope and pray in this moment that you would speak through your word and you would speak in the hearts and the minds and the lives of everyone here. We all want to be better, but there's so much more than better out there. You've created a best for us. You've created a holy for us. You've created a great for us and you've done all that through your grace. And so I pray that guilt that we feel, that conscience that's biting at us right now, I pray that you would use that as a reminder of your love for us and that we would simply confess our need for you. That we would say to you, Father, forgive me and help me to follow you out of this problem. Help me to reorganize my environment. Help me to have an appetite for, for, for righteous things, for your things. Forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And as you stand, if you need to place your faith in Christ, come. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all.
hot, but I didn't think it was that hot. Then he got in and he was like, As men come forward to take our offering, let's let's bow for a word of prayer. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just the worship we had an opportunity to be a part of today. We thank you for Dennis and his ministry. God, we thank you for uh, the scripture that Chad brought to our hearts today. We thank you for the sermon you've laid on his heart. We thank you that we had the opportunity to learn today. God, be with us as we apply the scripture and the sermon to our hearts, even as we leave today. God, thank you for the resources that you provide in our church. We pray that um, these resources would would bring glory uh, to your heart and in, in your name. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As our men take our offering, I've got some announcements for you before we take off. And then also we have a baptism uh, that's just around the corner as well. First of all, uh, summer is here, as you know. We have lots of camps coming up. Children's camp, junior high camp, senior high camp. A lot of of kids and adult sponsors go to camp. You can register online for these camps. Connect to our church website, and you can connect to all the different ways you can register for all those uh, camps. So tell your friends, your neighbors, your friends. Uh, My One students, you can register for camp online. Also, Vacation Bible School is coming up in July. Many of you are a part of Vacation Bible School. We have started the registration process for that as well. So get a head start. Jump online, register for Vacation Bible School as well. All right? Um, We also wanted to say thanks to Dennis. Uh, He took off, but let's say thanks to Dennis this morning. What a great opportunity to have him with us today. Right after baptism, we're having an opportunity to, to hang out together on the front lawn, enjoy some really good food that Rob Rizzo and the guys have prepared for us, and actually Carolyn Bird as well. And so we hope you'll stick around on the main uh, foyer, outside the main foyer, out on the lawn, and we'll have a great lunch together today. All right, Chad, is the water cooler? The water is cooler. Ready? It's not cool, but it's cooler after four buckets of ice and a really long sermon. <laughs> it's nice and cold. No, that's good. Well, uh, um, what we were just talking about, the idea that God can do something in you to transform you, that's what baptism is all about. It's a symbol of what God's done inside someone's heart. This is my son, Dawson Isaac Balthrop. 
And uh, if you are a friend or family member of Dawson who, uh, who are here with him today, would you all just stand up for us today? This is his kindergarten class and, and parents and grandparents and all family and all that stuff. Can we give them a hand for just a second? That'd be good. Y'all can have a seat if you want to. There's a reason why I want to do that, and that's because when I was a kid, I was saved when I was nine years old, and then by the time I was a teenager, I was already praying some things for my own life, that God would allow me to have an incredible family and a great wife and a godly wife, and I was at that moment already praying that God would save my kids. And so today, Dawson is my youngest son, and, and this is an answer to a prayer that I've been praying for years and years. And there's a verse in Philippians chapter 1. It says, For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Over a year ago, Dawson came to me and Londa and started saying, Hey, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. So we started talking to him about what that meant. And his brothers and sisters would sit down with him and they'd draw a picture that they had learned in our children's ministry. And then Dawson was in kindergarten in his Sunday school class this year, and he heard from his teachers over and over again what it means to really place your faith in Christ and how baptism is just a symbol of what it is that God's done in your life. And then about six weeks ago, Daryl Wehunt, who's another friend of his, was baptized. And, and one of the things that Daryl said when Chris baptized him, Chris asked him the question, who's the boss of your life? And Daryl said, Jesus. And after Daryl was baptized, Dawson came to me and said, that's what I want. And I said, to be baptized? And he says, no, I want Jesus to be the boss of my life. And so this is one of those moments that it's a proud dad moment for me. But I hope that this is a proud church moment for you. Because the salvation that he's expressed didn't come because one person told him a story about Jesus. It came because of your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It came because of the faithfulness of some Sunday school teachers and some friends and some family members and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So thanks for allowing me the privilege of baptizing my son. And thanks for being the kind of church where my family hears, sees, and has come to believe the gospel for what it is, the transformational power of Jesus Christ in, their, in, in your life. So thanks for that. Dawson, um, who is the boss of your life? Jesus, that's exactly right. So now it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. I'm so proud of you. Come on up. That's good. Love you, brother. That's good. Thank you so much for celebrating this with us. It's been a great Memorial Weekend, and we're just thankful for each and every one of you. Have a great weekend, and enjoy, uh, enjoy the picnic together. We love you. Have a great day.